0: He's risen, he, <clears throat> and that idea that Christ is risen uh, for Paul means that uh, that resurrection has a basis for our salvation, and it's meaningful. The work of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection out of the grave uh, is our focus as we move in our world, because what Jesus did there was to reach those who were unredeemed. He brings hope from despair. And so we're going to look at several of these things, that he, what he did and what it means. And in particular, we will look at the fact that not only is he risen, but that our justification before God, our being with Christ, uh, our being with Christ, being raised up with him, and therefore we understand Something different than just a religious answer or a religious ritual. There's something, there's a reality that we want to look at in terms of the fact that we are also, through baptism, brought into a whole new kingdom, a whole new lifestyle. He is risen, and we are too. And yet, to understand what He did, the friends of Christ at that time, they didn't understand, just like us, we don't understand. It wasn't given clarity until Paul later on explained what the salvation, uh, and as he explained it to the Jews as the gospel moved out of Jerusalem, they had to explain what this was all about. Well, likewise, we too are going to look at some things. And so let me just start today with saying, I want you to walk away with one word that you understand and that you can communicate. And that word is the word justification. And as you think about the word justification, I would ask you, even now, what's that mean to you? Uh, Because God wants you to know what that means, and so we're going to go into a, a study, worship mode, to look at what God has done, so that we worship in response to what Paul is saying Christ has done. And so, The focus this morning is for you to walk away saying, I think I understand what justification is, or I've never thought about this, and I want to think about this, or may have questions about this, but I want you to understand it so that your faith will grow and that you'll see how this applies to the Christian life. Justification. Now, why are we doing that? Uh, Because you've lived most of your lives, and and most of the people uh, that you rub shoulders with don't even talk in this language, don't use that word, but it is a theological truth, a biblical reality that most people assume or take for granted or neglect and don't know, and therefore they're missing out. But the reason why I want you to know this is so that you realize that you are living in a world that's influencing how you think. And I don't want you to be influenced by the world in the way they think, I want you to be grounded in Christ. And this is one of these areas that if you don't know about justification, then you will be truncated and distorted or misdirected and vulnerable to all kinds of crazy thoughts. I'll get get into that in a minute. But I want you to know the basics of the Christian life. And I've been asking several people, in, among the congregation and I'm finding uh, I, people are familiar with the word they may be informed but it hasn't transformed them And so that's, what I'm, that's why I'm presenting this material but you will also meet a lot of people in our world and there are changes that are taking place and this is another reason why because you need to be aware of the changes that are taking place in our world there's a woman, Serene Jones and Serene Jones is the president of Union Theological Seminary in New York. And she said last Thursday, she does not believe in the resurrection. She doesn't believe in the virgin birth. She doesn't believe in heaven. She doesn't believe in miracles. She's the president of a seminary. And, and as you listen to her talk, uh, she said... Uh, in an article that the crucifixion is not something that God is orchestrating from upstairs. The crucifixion, this pervasive idea of an abusive godfather. Now, this is the president of the seminary. An abusive godfather who sent his own kid to the cross so God could forgive people is nuts. For me, Serene says, the cross is an, an an enactment of human hatred. But what happens on Easter is the triumph of love. The triumph of love in the midst of suffering. Isn't that the reason for hope? Now, She has just taken the whole gospel and gutted it. And she's training people who are out in seminaries to go into their churches. Can you Question the resurrection and still be a Christian. Think about that. Another man, <clears throat> another man uh, has the same idea. Scott Corb, thirty-seven years old, he now describes himself as a non-practicing Catholic. He used he used to want to be a priest, but Scott has come to the point of saying, "I finally believe that Jesus." Uh, Uh, he once believed that Jesus literally rose from the dead, but now he finds himself thinking that's only a symbol. He really didn't do that. And he goes on to say, what I mean is the miracle of a bodily resurrection is something I reject without moving away from its basic idea. What I mean is that we can reach the lowest points of our life. We can go deep into a place that feels like death. And we can find our way out again. That's the story of the resurrection. And at this Easter, that's expressed in community. And at best, uh, through the compassion of others. At that change, that change from a literal to metaphorical, symbolic approach has given the story of the Easter more power to me says Scott Korb. You understand that what you believe is being uh, reduced and removed in our society in such a way that we no longer talk about things like sin. We no longer talk about things like literal resurrection from the dead or miracles. Reverend Roger uh, Wolseley, United Methodist elder, he says, going to heaven after we die isn't what faith or salvation is all about. Jesus' resurrection didn't have, don't have to be understood as a physical one. For me, it's a real, uh, and a, a real and a meaningful one. But his response is, well, do you believe in the bodily resurrection? He says, well, yes, I do believe that metaphorically. He was raised in a spiritual body. It was a spiritual metaphorical. And he went on to say, the truth of the gospel does not hinge on whether you and I read literally or spiritually. Let's just move into the mystery. And you realize what's happening in our culture is a flow of ideas that are influencing the church so that you walk with people who are prophets, that Jesus warned about. These are, not, these are not new thoughts. These are not new thoughts. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah a long time ago said, the, the prophets prophesy lies. The priests rule by their own authority and my people love it this way. But what will you do in the end? Jeremiah 5.31 there have always been false prophets and false teachers trying to mislead God's people. Again, Jeremiah eight 8.8. How can you say we are wise for we have the law of the Lord when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely? You see, the wise will be put to shame and they will be dismayed and trapped since they have rejected the word of God and they've listened to the word of men. In Jeremiah's time, what the prophets were saying was you were going to go into captivity. And these false prophets were saying, no, no, no. Be more positive. Let's have a positive outlook. And let's have peace. And Jeremiah said, these people proclaim peace, peace, but there is no peace, and they handle the wound of my people superficially. They cannot deal with the reality. They just deal with what makes them look good. And so <clears throat> Isaiah like Jeremiah picked this up and he says, as you consult God's instruction and the testimony <clears throat> that, that, that he was said the testimony of warning, if anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no dawn. They have no light. They are not guided by the Holy Spirit. They are just talking heads, religious, empty words. But that's the group Of people that we're talking about. And Jesus warned us, didn't he? Before he went to the cross, he was sitting on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming? And what's the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out. And no one deceive you, for many will come in my name. Many will say, I am a Christian. Many will say, I'm the Messiah. And they will deceive many. And I would submit to you that you need to hear the clear word of prophecy because Paul, Paul the Apostle, was very clear. If anyone preaches a different gospel, he is cursed. He is cursed. And therefore, being misleading or being influenced or being uh, lulled to sleep in a theological mishmash of what anything you believe in a higher power goes, you are also being influenced by a false spirit. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Now those are strong words. We don't hear those words in this day and age because they are offensive. And they are exclusive, but they are true. Ten years ago, it was just ten years ago, Barna, the Barna study, they showed a poll that only 42% of Americans, only 42% said that the meaning of Easter was Jesus' resurrection. 42% thought that the resurrection was about the raising of the body of Christ. 60% didn't. Get this. Just two percent. Only two percent. Uh, I'm. This one. Only two percent understood. I'm, I'm. way ahead for some reason. Only two percent understood that the most that the resurrection was the most important doctrine in the in the Bible, and so Barna. Uh, there it is. Only two percent identified the resurrection as the most important holiday of their faith. And so Barna goes on to say two of three Americans, sixty seven percent, mentioned some type of religious meaning to Easter. It's it's somehow important, somehow religious, two thirds, but they thought that they thought that the the common response is that it's a Christian holiday. It's a celebration of God or Jesus. It's a celebration of Passover. It's a special time for the church. But he also went on to say that Easter is about the birth of Christ. Easter's not about the birth of Christ. That's Christmas. But Easter is about the rebirth of Jesus. Easter is about the second coming. Easter is about the celebration of a pagan holiday. I, I don't know what it's all about. And do not, uh, 8% don't celebrate it at all. And for those who are in college, it's about spring break or high school. You understand that our culture is shifting away from the biblical message. If you were raised in a Catholic church, the Catholics celebrate Easter as a religious holiday, 65%. But only 37% of them know that the resurrection was the meaning of that holiday. 37% 37% what's the meaning of the resurrection what's that mean uh, Protestants are not much better 76% of the Protestants saw Easter as a religious holiday but only 51% know the meaning was about Jesus being raised from the dead and so our, our, our culture is saying to you it, it doesn't make a difference so what now, the question I propose to you is this. Do you, ha- Do you need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be a Christian? Do you need? And the world is saying, no, you don't need that. Because we'll gut the gospel and we will replace it with a false gospel. As long as you're moral, you're good, you love people, you pay your taxes, and you don't hurt people, and you just keep to yourself, you'll be all right. Do you you need to believe in, in, in the resurrection? And the answer is yes, you do. You have to believe in the resurrection because Paul said, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you don't believe that, you will not be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. If you don't profess that same gospel, you will be accursed. You'll be separated. And you will miss out on everything beyond the stone. And that's why I'm saying, what Paul, what Nola read this morning, and having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. And therefore, if you understand the power of the resurrection, the meaning of the resurrection, the, the, the faith that we have If we died with Christ, we believe that we too will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Likewise, we are baptized in Christ and we are risen with Christ. And the reality that Christ experienced is the reality that you and I will experience. And that's the meaning that God wants you to know that there are certain things that the world will rip apart and steal from you and substitute so that you don't understand what that baptism in Christ means. Baptism, again, we can go all over the map with this one, but I just want to go into one couple of th- a couple of things here. When you are baptized in Christ, when you have new life in Christ, you get the whole bundle of blessings that we've been talking about in Ephesians 1. And so there, there are words that I want you to learn. And these are the, this is a series of words that we're going to go through. That when you have baptism, the, the identity of taking something underneath and bringing it back, Restored to something different. It was used by shepherds who would baptize their sheep with a dye on a cloth. And they would dye the wool. And that that dye on the wool would mark that sheep. And so in a a field of 5,000 sheep, the shepherds would see different markings on their sheep. Baptism is the marking. It's the identification mark. And that if you've been baptized with Christ, you will be identified with Christ and all that he went through. But here's what you go through with Christ. You go, you get the baptism, you have the salvation, you'll see this word justification. Words like righteousness, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the imputation, the reckoning, the atonement, the redemption, the expiation. Technical words that we don't use any longer. Propitiation, powerful words that we don't use anymore. I want to bring them back and put them on the table because they do have meaning, deep meaning, and will shape the way you experience your Christian life. Baptism. You have new life in Christ. If you're not born again, if you're not baptized, risen with Christ, you don't have life. You will go through a religious ritual and you will join a social club, a religious group, whatever it is, but it's not the life of Christ. Salvation means you have a new relationship. A new relationship with one you call a savior. One that you didn't have before and you were disconnected from him, alien to the promises of God. But now you have a justification. It's a new record, a new accounting of your sin that God looks at and how he sees you is built on this one word we'll look at. Righteousness. Easily easily misunderstood, which we have misunderstood in history, but it's a new standing You'll see in a moment, because God imputes to us a righteousness based on the attributes of Christ. The reckoning, how we are considered, how God reckons us, how he values us, how he appraises us in our experience, in our uh, faith. Atonement, at one moment, being connected again that we have a new connection, a new feeling, a new emotional uh, uh, approach to God that we we really feel assured. Redemption, new ownership, expiation, new restoration. And the propitiation is about a freedom that Christ, if you've been baptized in Christ, all of these are yours. All of these are yours. But I want to focus on this one. Justification. And I want to explain something to you that's, I think, important, very important, so that you understand, so that you understand, in our history, many people don't understand the meaning of justification because it was taken from a Latin group, of the Latin Vulgate Bible, coming through Rome, who used the Latin language. And so that Latin language and the Latin Vulgate Bible, which Protestants and Catholics used, and was promoted by Augustine, he would read that Bible with a Latin view. But they would misunderstand because of the Latin approach as opposed to the Hebrew and the Greek approach. And so in in the Latin, the word justification comes from the word justificare. It means to make righteous. To make righteous. In the Latin, God makes you righteous. And for some people, they understand that I am made righteous. My nature is made righteous. I have been whole, uh, I've been made whole. I've been holiness. Uh, I, I have been given this power for righteousness in my nature. That's what the word justify means. But in the Greeks, by contrast, the word for justification doesn't mean that you are made righteous in your nature. It means that you are declared righteous. And it carries the meaning to count or to reckon. And it means that you are declared. There's a, a sentence over you, and that's the difference. Now, remember this guy named Martin Luther? There used to be this, a real important argument about justification by faith between the Catholics and the Protestants. Whatever happened to that? Whatever. It's gone out the window. We don't talk about that much anymore. But Martin Luther did because Martin Luther struggled with the fact that if I am sinful, and I'm supposed to be righteous, but I'm not righteous, how can I get right with God? And he had a conscience that he couldn't, he couldn't bear, and so he struggled. He struggled a lot. And he struggled until the point he came to, the, to the Paul's passage but when, when Paul was reading, or when Martin Luther was reading that passage in the Vulgate, he misunderstood it. Because if God, declared Paul, if God declared Martin righteous, but he found himself unrighteous in all of his sins and temptations that he couldn't get rid of, he struggled with this until he came to Paul. And then the Greek word which Paul uses means to announce, declare, pronounce, Proclaim, you are declared righteous. Not that you are righteous, that you are declared a sentence said over you. This is how God sees you. It literally means that God has acquitted you. You are no longer going to be held with a sense, and it is a, uh, you're going to be held in a legal sense And this takes place outside of your experience. It takes place outside of your nature. It has nothing to do with you whatsoever. And therefore, it's a forensic, uh, outside legal declaration. And you are justified because he says so. The Greek means to put right, to, to justify, to vindicate, to declare righteous, to cause one to be in right relationship, to show to be right. And so when Paul, when Paul uses this, he uses this word in the Greek sense, not in the Latin sense. For we mentioned that a person is justified by faith, apart from the works, apart from the law. And God has declared that the sinner is righteous in his sight on the basis of faith in Christ alone, without any works at all, of any kind. It was a legal declaration made by the judge about you and me. It's not about my nature. It's not about my experience. It's not about my feelings. It's not about my faith. It's not about me. It's about God's declaration. And therefore, Paul uses that Greek word. And he uses Abraham to prove his argument. God declared Abraham justified. Likewise, James in the book of James, also uses the same Greek word. But the word for justification is the same as Paul, and he also uses the same Abraham uh, story. But James uses the same word for, uh, for a different reason. And so for James, James, says, wasn't our father Abraham considered righteous? He was considered, considered, declared Proclaimed righteous for what he did. He wasn't proclaimed righteous for what he did. Based on the works. He was proclaimed righteous on the basis of the covenant. Which Paul and James both understood. And here's the confusion. There's a battle between James and and Paul. And so depending on who you read. Depending on who you read. You're going to hear different approaches to this. Uh. James says you've got to keep the law to be justified. It's by your works that you're justified. By your works, your faith is going to show that you're justified, says James. And Paul says, no, it's not about works. It's not about works. So it's easy to get confused with this. Let me just summarize it in a couple of minutes. Because this is very important. James and Paul were addressing different questions and different groups. Paul was writing to the Gentiles in Rome Jews and Gentiles, how to get saved. James was writing to the Jews alone about faith. They're different questions. They're not the same questions. And therefore, James was answering the question, how does faith work? Well, faith is expressed through your good deeds. If you don't have good deeds, then you can't have any expression of your faith. That's James. James never speaks of the works of the law in order to be justified. James never expressed works that give expression to faith, what might be called faith works. Instead, James understood that the works do not justify. Paul, on the other hand, was saying something different. He's speaking to the works of the law, and Paul is saying, if you keep the law, you will not be justified. They're two different communities. And therefore, Paul is speaking to the, about the works of the law as an expression of the law, called law works. You won't be justified by your good works. You won't be justified by your good behavior. You won't be justified by your good reputation. You will only be justified by Christ. And if you can be justified by your goodness, Christ didn't need to die. And therefore you nullify the gospel. So the question Martin Luther comes along and says, well, how can justification take place without the works? Faith without works is dead. That's what James says. And then Martin Luther got it. He says, the works of the law are the works done without faith and grace. The works of the law are done without faith and grace, which forces them to be done through fear or enticing promise of temporal advantages. But the works of faith are those done in the spirit of liberty, purely out of love to God, and they can be done only by those who are justified by faith. And therefore, when, Paul, when Martin says, I grasp the justice of God as that righteousness by which through grace and by sheer mercy God justifies us through faith. And therefore, thereupon, I felt myself to be reborn and I have undergone uh, through the open doors into paradise. So Paul and James both affirm that We come into and we continue living in relationship with God through faith, apart from the law, but it's not without the love and the obedience that is born out of faith. It is not faith plus works. It is faith that works. And therefore, there's a huge difference. And here's the key. Justification is the declaration of our position, our faith before God, that we have received the promise of the Messiah, and that righteousness is ours. It is the legal reckoning. His righteousness is registered to our account. The sacrifice Jesus made for us set us right with God, Romans 4.24. Now to the one who works, rages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly. The ungodly. God justifies the ungodly. Their faith is credited as righteousness. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of the Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. It's all by faith, but it's God's declaration that that faith is in the Son that will justify. And therefore, because of the Christ, because of the Messiah on that cross, it says that we will be counted, what he did, it will be counted to us who believe. It will be reckoned to us who believe to whom it shall be imputed. And the same thing about Jesus gets said about us. Therefore, it will be credited to those who believe, not by those who work. And therefore, just to know, as we conclude, he was delivered uh, over to death for our sins, and he was raised. Why? Why was he raised from the dead? Why was he raised from the dead? For our justification. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, you are not justified. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, you won't get into heaven. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, you are still in your sins. And you're under the judgment of God. That's why the resurrection can't be dismissed or mythologized away. Because if you do, you have gutted the gospel and you're under the accursed words of Paul. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace. We have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. The resurrection involves justification in both senses that God justified Christ. In the fact that he is who he says he is, and he did what he says he will do. And this resurrection proves he is the Messiah. And it also establishes that we are justified, baptized in him. We will be raised and enter into the very place where Christ is, because we are justified. Therefore, understand this. God appointed this man, Jesus, the appointed judge, is this resurrected man. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all peoples everywhere to repent. For he has set a day which he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is significant that the people in the union theological seminary have missed that people in the churches who are trying to accommodate the world have missed that Christians who live on that side of the that side of the uh, of the tomb beyond before the stone they've missed you have been justified the father has declared you are accepted in Christ and our justification our position rests only On the imputed righteousness of Christ. So the reality of that transaction. Is linked to the resurrection. You have to believe in the resurrection. To be a Christian. If you don't believe that. You are not a Christian. You may call yourself a Christian. But you will not be resurrected. Because you are not justified. And you don't believe in Christ. And therefore. Justification means that before God and God looking to you, there is no block whatsoever, no shame, no sin, no guilt, no nothing that Christ has removed everything so he looks at you just as you are and say, this one is mine. This one is mine. This one belongs to Christ. He belongs to me. This one does not. This one does not. This one is. This one is. And therefore, understand this doctrine of justification by faith is based on the resurrection. And if you have that, you're led into the next series of faith steps that you begin to experience. God, I don't have it together. I've got all kinds of issues. I don't know if I have much faith. It's not about your experience. It's about His word. And He declares, this one is saved. This one is mine. This one is justified. Just as if he had never sinned. This is such an important doctrine that only 3% uh, uh, they don't, it's just a religious ritual. It, they can change it. 40% of people know about it but just don't understand it. CBC family, I want you to grow and understand. God loves you and sees you in a different way than you do. And so we're going to grow. And you've got something to say. And it will set you free. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that that cross stands in the ground as a, the place where we are redeemed. But that stone has been rolled away that lifts us out of the tomb that lifts us up to the very throne room of God and declares that we are righteous in Christ. We have been justified by your resurrected Son. And for that reason, Jesus, we worship you. We worship that which you have done, and we give you all the glory, because what a wonderful work it is. Father, take these words. Give us growth through them. Thank you for the grace. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for being patient today. And... uh, There's more to come. I hope you go home and think about these things because it means you've got a bold faith, a bold hope, and a bold love. Let's pray.